experiences when you travel solo are so much richer and empowering than they are when you're in a group or and you're in an organized setting or you know you have everything planned for you and there's nothing wrong with that type of travel but I like the challenge and the rewards that solo travel brings and I've come to appreciate it. Welcome to Zestful Aging, where I talk with fascinating, talented, and inspiring guests who reflect on the adventures and challenges of aging and who are living their lives with vibrance and purpose. I'm your host, Nicole Christina, psychotherapist, writer, and fellow Zestful Ager. I want to invite you to my brand new free webinar, Zestful Aging, Here's How You Do It. You can sign up at NicoleChristina.com. And as always, I appreciate your feedback. Well, I have my Jack Russell Terrier Sparky right beside me and my coffee in my hand. So let's begin. Today we're speaking with Jen Ruiz, who's a lawyer turned full-time travel blogger. She's a number one Amazon best-selling author and a 2018 Reader's Favorite Award winner. Jen's also a TEDx speaker and has been featured by the Washington Post, ABC News, and the Huffington Post. Welcome, Jen. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Nicole. So we're, you're just back from Bali. Is that a good place to begin? Absolutely, yes. I'd love to talk about it. I had a wonderful time in Bali. I was there for three weeks in Ubud. Aha. Uh-huh. And the first thing I'm curious about, and I know some of these questions you may have heard before, but how do you choose where to go as a full-time travel blogger? I usually go where the deals take me. I'm big on finding cheap flights and uh, having affordable travel just so that I can travel more. Um, so I, Southeast Asia is kind of a prime spot for budget travelers because, for instance, I was in Ubud and my room was $14 a night for a very nice room at a homestay. Um, I did a spa treatment at a uh, one of the nicer resorts there in the city, and it was a splurge at twenty dollars. You know the the equivalent of that. So it's really great for budget travelers, and I kind of seek out these destinations so that they're better for long term travel. I see. And is long term travel the kind of experience that you're most interested in? It varies. Um, When I was working full-time, before I made the switch to traveling and writing, I was actually very big on taking short trips as much as possible. So I've taken, you know, 48-hour, three-day trips to uh, Europe, to Cuba, to uh, South America, anywhere really within close proximity, a six-hour flight or less from the U.S. Uh, And I was really able to find success with those short trips. It makes it really easy for me because I love planning so I could have really full days and not burn out if it's something really quick like a long weekend. But now that I'm doing it full time, I do enjoy the ability to pace myself out and to take longer trips like a three-week trip, you know, a two-month trip, whatever the case may be. Uh, And that's been a new sort of experience for me. So they both have their benefits. Mm Mm-hmm. So could you take me through uh, the evolution of your career from attorney to full-time travel blogger? 
Absolutely. So I was working full-time when I decided to take on a challenge to complete 12 trips in 12 months before my 30th birthday. Uh, it's a big milestone birthday, I think, in general for just having these kind of personal life accomplishments and you think a lot, you know, am I married? Do I have children? Am I at the point that I really want to be personally, uh, especially as a woman? And so for me, that was something where I felt like I really wanted to accomplish something big before my 30th birthday. And that's when I set out to take one trip every month while still working, maximizing my vacation time, you know, taking those long weekends and those short trips as much as possible and just seeing how much I could fit in in this you know self-proclaimed year of adventure of mine <laughs> and um, it was really unexpected I ended up taking 20 trips because I found so many great airline deals and I managed to fit in all these trips on a very quick basis um, just over weekends at times so I ended up going to places like Greece like uh, Cambodia and Thailand like Iceland um, you know South America to um, to Ecuador and I was in the center of the earth and I was kind of straddling both hemispheres. Um, so really cool experiences that I've had all over the world uh, in that short period of time. And after that, I decided that traveling had fulfilled me in a way that law hadn't for several years. I'd been practicing at that time for five years and I'd been um, finally gotten my job at working at a nonprofit firm, which was my goal when I started and I graduated law school to end up in that nonprofit realm. Uh, but I still found that I was fighting with people every day. I was very stressed out uh, and I just wasn't having the quality of life that I had hoped to, especially after so much schooling, uh, so much student loan debt. Uh, and it just was, it seemed off or not because I ended up just somewhere where I wasn't fully satisfied and, and traveling really filled that gap for me. And I decided after I ended up writing the book and um, just having that ability to kind of make a transition now that I wasn't fully tethered to anything uh, like a mortgage or children or a husband. I found that to be actually the upside of my situation and I decided to make the most of it and take a leap and, and try traveling and writing full time. And, uh, and you know as well as I do that I'm gonna just say a majority of people may not feel that satisfied in their jobs and they just do it anyway and they kind of I guess make the best of it. How is it that you were able to make a decision after so much school and, and some student loan debt that you were going to act on this um, I don't know if it was an instinct or, 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 or a feeling or a belief that you were going to leave all of this behind and really do a major pivot here. What's the process like? Well, it wasn't easy, definitely. Uh, and I think as I approached my birthday, I, I really started to feel like I needed to make a shift like it had already been a very transformational year I had felt completely different at the end having accomplished this than I did going into it and I had made a lot of connections I started uh, going to travel blogger conferences meeting other like-minded people and seeing that this actually was a sustainable life model for a lot of different individuals from all over the world uh, in different ways because bloggers monetize in many different ways so I just started learning and, and becoming curious about 
that field and, and soaking up all the knowledge that I could. Uh, and also just realizing that I always had the security in knowing that, you know, I passed two bar exams. I worked really hard to become an attorney. So it's something that nobody could ever take away from me, whether I'm actively practicing or, or not. I'm still an attorney. You know, I still have an analytical mind. I still read contracts of adhesion before I go and I take an adventure tour somewhere and, and think to myself, you know, what's the legal uh, implications of signing this? Uh, so it's not something that anybody will ever be able to extract from me. I'm always going to inherently have those skills and that knowledge. And I think I felt more secure because of that, because I had that experience, because I had those credentials. I know I can always be an attorney if I wanted to, uh, but mm -hmm. I felt secure taking that leap, knowing that I had something sturdy to fall back on, mm -hmm. if anything. Uh, I'd also started teaching English online before I quit my job, so it was something that I was doing on the side uh, every morning before work to help supplement my travels, and knowing that I had that ability to work remotely and make essentially as much money as I chose, depending on how many hours I taught per day, it really gave me a sense of freedom and flexibility to feel like I wasn't necessarily leaving myself without a steady income because I'd already tried and tested that method of teaching online for over a year. Um, and it wasn't, you know, as lucrative as my attorney job, obviously, so I've had to make some sacrifices, um, but, you know, give up my apartment to essentially go live in some of these other places. Um, but it's been a, a journey and it's something that it, it took a lot of risk uh, but I'm enjoying seeing the fruits of that and seeing how far I've been able to come just by making that change and not being afraid to go down a different path. Mm -hmm. Have you always been an adventurous person? Um, not necessarily. So that was something actually very new to me. I've always been a very planned person. So I've always been the person that knows, you know, what's going to happen in six months, five years, 10 years. You know, I was president of my elementary school. So I've always had very, <laughs> this is very ingrained in me. And I'm, I've, it was weird for me actually to approach this birthday and realize that, you know, I wasn't a hundred percent sure where my life would be even six months from then. But at the same time, it was strangely liberating because I, I had planned for so much, right? And I had done all of this exactly according to the book and I wasn't where I thought I was going to be. I, d I was still missing these kind of major life achievements that I thought I would have by that point. So what had planning gotten me really except to a point where I was even more uncertain and not necessarily, you know, having gotten everything that I'd set out to do. So what it really went, it was something new to try not planning. It was something new to be able to say, well, let's see what happens. Let's just try something different. Maybe it's okay to not have all the answers and to not know where I'll be five or 10 years from now. So it was a whole shift of a mindset, mindset but it really felt like it was right and it was needed and it felt like a break almost from mm -hmm. the pressure I'd had on myself for so many years to mm -hmm. stick to the rules and to be at a certain spot by a certain age, you know, and, and that was something I really had to let go of. And I, and I feel so much lighter now, so much happier now, knowing that that kind of burden and unrealistic expectations aren't always going to be on me and that I'm free to kind of see where life takes me. And maybe it's even better than what I had planned. What was the reaction of your family and friends when you told them that you were going to switch gears here? They were surprisingly supportive. Um, I had a really wonderful coworker. Her name is Kathy, and she actually she's older. She's maybe um, in the late stages of her career, and she served as a mentor to me. And 
their, I, I had confided in her, especially, you know, before a big case or things like that, how it wasn't getting to be as satisfying anymore, even winning, even getting the victories that we really fought for. It was, it still felt like it was really draining me and that I felt like my passion was perhaps elsewhere, that I felt you know, like I didn't have to be somewhere when I was at one of these travel blogger conferences. I was actually at the sessions eagerly taking notes and, you know, partaking it. And it really signaled to me that I was in the wrong area, that I needed to be somewhere where I had that passion naturally without it having to be forced. And after confiding in her, she actually, for Christmas, bought me a book called Scratch that talked about uh, writer salaries and, and just in general the business of writing. And she uh, inscribed in the book, you know, go ahead, be happy. And it really was so meaningful to me to have that, even in, in those small words, but it really her stamp and her endorsement and her mm -hmm. pushing me towards a path that she knew I was better suited for. So, and that was basically, you know, the same kind of reactions I've gotten from friends and family. I just got a wedding uh, thank you card and it, the friends, you know, addressed it to Jen on a Jet Plane, which is my website. <laughs> and, you know, so it's the people really, you know, another friend was like, oh, I met up with the girl on the jet plane when I was uh, in Thailand. So they really have embraced this new identity of mine and, and have really supported me along the way. They've helped me launch the books. Um, they've just been a good core support group. And I think over the years, I've learned how to narrow down my friends and my family and the people in my circle to these positive people that mm -hmm. are going to be lifting you up instead of constantly questioning you or telling you, you know, that you can't do something. And so I'm very lucky to have just a core group of people that I've met along the way, you know, friends from college, colleagues at work and old jobs that have shown an interest in rallying behind me and really lifting me up. And it and it's been, without them, I, I don't know that I could have done it because they've really been, I've had moments where I've thought to myself, you know, did I make the right decision? And mm -hmm. I bear this all out on social media and I'm very honest that's, that writing is therapeutic for me. Um, and there are so many people that respond to these kind of raw posts that I put on my Facebook personal page. Um and they just show sympathy. They show, you know, they tell me that they've been in similar shoes, the how inspiring I am and to keep going. And, and those things really help me, especially at my low moments. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we all know traveling has just this incredible benefits that I think sometimes can't even really be put into words, perhaps. Um, um, but they can also bring some challenges. Can you talk a little bit about what it's been like to be overseas somewhere and perhaps things not going uh, the way you had planned and, and, and how you face that. Yes, uh, it happens more often than I would like to admit uh, because I am a planner, so it's tough for me to see when unexpected things happen. Um, in Bali, there's something infamous called Bali Belly that I actually had no idea about until I found myself stretched out on a bed for nine hours, certain that I was close to death um, from how horrible I felt. It was just terrible. I guess I'd eaten something that didn't fall right with me, and being sick overseas is never fun, oh. um, and, and you don't really wish to be anywhere else except for your own house mm. and your own bed when you're sick with mm -hmm. your own medicines you know with your own cures your own and bathroom 
Exactly. Exactly. Um, so it was just really, it was awful and I couldn't even get rest. I just kind of suffered through every minute thinking, why is this happening? Um, and that, that's, you know, common. Um, not that you get sick. I try to be careful where I eat, but just that something like that could happen that makes you wish that you were closer to home and you had the comforts of home and it really tests you and push you, it pushes you and makes you think, you know, why did I put myself in this situation? Um, another example was in last summer, the heat wave in Europe was terrible, terrible heat wave. And I was in Eastern, um, yes, Eastern Europe, where I was actually in the Czech Republic and they don't have any air conditioning because mm. they're not used to it getting that hot. But mm -hmm. I mean, it was ridiculously hot. So like 37 degrees one day was the highest, which is like well over 100 degrees. Mm. Um, and it was so, it was melting. And these rooms that we were staying in were in the top floor. So they'd been stifling all day oh. and you open the window and, you know, oh. mosquitoes come in. And oh. I actually, I was so miserable. And I, I'm not one of those people that can sleep with, you know, when you're sweating and just feeling terrible like I need there to be some sort of ventilation at least mm -hmm. so I actually made a trip to like the Czech version of Walmart and I found a standing fan and I put the fan together by the side of the road with the Czech tourism board people um, and that were helping me with their little mini kind of screwdrivers and I carried that <laughs> fan around with me you know on every single bus and Uber and I went like from city to city with the fan as with my your, sidekick your new best friend <laughs> it really was it really you have no idea I sang to it. I hugged it. That was <laughs> my lifeline. And I might have seen like that crazy American person, but I slept. And that was the most important thing for me. So especially after these kind of long days and hot days, like you really just can't be miserable at night too. Um, and so that fan, it's, it was, his name was Finn. Actually, I named him Finn the Fan. Um, he now lives in the Czech Republic. I donated him to a girl at the front desk where it was one of my last days and when I saw her she had a fan and she said and I mentioned you know that there were no I asked if there were fans in the room and she said no and I hadn't brought Finn in yet from the curb and so she was like but you can't have my fan because if you have it I'll die and I was <laughs> like this girl appreciates the fan yeah. I will leave you with Finn oh, <laughs> Finn is in good hands that's a lovely story <laughs> it's a lovely story do you want to say anything about any challenges that you face traveling alone as a woman? Sure. Um, there's definitely been a lot of those. I, I'm actually working on my third book now on solo female travel. And I think a lot of people get really scared to travel alone um, and understandably so because the media is constantly publicizing these kind of horrible things that happen to women abroad um, and it's something that you have to be extra vigilant about. I try to be very careful um, with drinking, with how I dress, with calling attention to myself. You know, I don't mm -hmm. necessarily readily or openly dance at places because I know especially at these kind of night places people are always watching to see. Um, so I try to be you know, when it's, especially when it's nighttime, I try to go on organized activities. That's one of my favorite ways to get to know a city. So I'll do like an evening walking tour or like an evening, you know, kind of food and wine tour that gets me within a set group of people. And I'm walking with locals and I feel like it's, you know, well kind of regulated and, and my safety is taken care of there um, because there's a guide and somebody that's in charge of that. Um, and so I don't feel like I'm necessarily going to any sketch places, but also getting a taste of the local nightlife. Um, in general, I try to be very weary. I had an incident once in, in Argentina where I actually had an Uber driver on my way to the airport pull over and insist that he wanted to steal a kiss. Um, ah. It was terrible and very frightening. And I, you know, 
size-wise, I just wasn't really in the position and the side of the highway to put any distance between me and him because running alone by the side of the highway in Argentina wasn't a good idea. And I wasn't oh. in the position to necessarily fight him because he was at least three times my size and, you know, we're in an enclosed vehicle. So that could angering him might not be the easiest way to go. Um, so I kind of had to make split second decisions as to how I was going to handle the situation and limit the impact there. And that's something that was very traumatizing to me but at the same time when I came back and kind of shared it with my audience like I mentioned so many people just really opened up were confiding in me in incidents that they'd had happen to them um you know were telling me how brave I was to still keep moving forward and there's a quote in Legally Blonde that really gets me through some of my worst moments um especially as a female when I have kind of those interactions with men and it's um from the dean and she tells Elle from Elle Woods Elle Woods from Legally Blonde she tells her you know if you're gonna let one excuse my language if you're gonna let one student stupid prick ruin your life like you're mm -hmm. not the woman that I thought you were mm. and that quote always comes to mind for me when I have you know attorneys that are telling me you know are you the paralegal or how long have you been practicing oh. or you know when I have these things happen in an Uber in Argentina and I just think you know when I have a guy that makes me feel inferior whatever the case may be that quote really comes to mind because at the end of the day any one of these people they don't I refuse to let them have the power to affect me and the way that I live mm -hmm. and for every one of them I've had you know 50 amazing incredible experiences I've had an opera in Florence that stopped halfway through to announce a change in programming and dedicate a song to me you know I've had uh, it was incredible I had a driver in, in Cuba that decided that he wanted to uh, show me around the entire island and, and showed me some amazing places that I wouldn't have seen otherwise and he was the most respectful most wonderful driver so it's not I can't let these kind of bad apples ruin it for me because mm -hmm. they exist everywhere. And I think as a solo traveler, that's what you have to realize that the likelihood of anything happening is the same really as it is in your own neighborhood, in your mm -hmm. own country, as it is anywhere else. Because the only thing necessary for these things to occur is the presence of a bad person, not any other circumstances. And those people could be anywhere. So you really can't live your life it, kind of mm -hmm. like terrorists. Like you can't live your life with these kind of emotional terrorists, these people that are going to stop you from really going out there and having the experiences that make it worthwhile and you always have to remember that the good outweighs the bad so uh -huh. as a solo traveler it's definitely been a journey but it's something that I, I value so much and the experiences when you travel solo are so much richer and empowering than they are when you're in a group or and you're in an organized setting or you know you have everything planned for you and there's nothing wrong with that type of travel but I like the challenge and the rewards that solo travel brings and I've come to appreciate it. Could you talk to uh, to our listeners about what would be a first step for some of um, the, the, our audience, you know, they're I think they're listening to this saying, wow, does that sound fun, you know, <laughs> but still there's a lot of steps to, to to really make it a reality and you know you're it sounds like you're great at researching affordable travel and all that but is there sort of a little bit of a framework you might share with a woman let's say you know middle-aged post middle age, saying I wanna have some adventure in my life I haven't had a chance to travel now I do where do where where would you suggest that they start well First and foremost, one of the things that helps me is getting flight alerts because it lets me know about destinations that uh, have gone on sale that I wouldn't have known about otherwise. 
So I sign up for Scott's Cheap Flights, and he his name is Scott Keys, and he sends out alerts whenever his team finds a really good deal on a flight somewhere or a route somewhere. Um, mm-hmm. So that, I get a couple of deals a day. I'm part of the premium list, but you can be part of the free email list indefinitely just to get, you know, one out of every five deals or so and, and see what's out there. Because you might find, you know, you think there's no good tickets from your local airport. Maybe you're in a smaller range. You know, right now, currently, my local airport is Rochester, New York, which is, in, you know, not necessarily that accessible. But maybe there's... There's a ticket from Buffalo, which is an hour away. And mm-hmm. for some reason, there's a ticket from Buffalo to London round trip for $300. Mm-hmm. And I think, wow, like that's a really great deal. I should hop on that. So it can be your inspiration to want to take advantage and not overthink it because these tickets go away so quickly that you have oh, to kind of book when you it. get the alert. And that's a good way to push yourself to do something instead of sitting there constantly pondering, like, should I press that book button. Um, <laughs> There's so many choices. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So you would start with a, a you said it's it's Scott's cheap flights. Is that uh, where we would uh, tell people to to look at? Absolutely. And he'll send you emails when there's a good flight deal. Okay. So you'll be able to scope it out and see what deals might be available near you and get inspiration that way. And also that kind of timed need to, to act. Mm-hmm. Also taking comfort in that most of these flights, so long as they're a week or more away, will allow you a 24-hour refund period. So if you you know double-check your schedule and you go and do something and realize that you can't actually make the trip, you always have 24 hours to make that adjustment or cancel the flight. I see, I see. And so it sounds like that's the framework. You start with a flight and then um, assuming your schedule allows, the next step would be, okay, now I have to set up a hotel. Correct. So from there, you can try to find hotels and activities. And sometimes even activities for me are a priority because hotels can still relatively be available up until you know the week of, the night of. You even have certain apps that try to sell things last minute like hotel tonight or things like that um mm-hmm. so but activities not always like for instance if you want to see da vinci's last supper uh which i was able to see in milan on a 24-hour stop there um you have to book those tickets months ahead of time because mm-hmm. they sell out and you i mean for me for that particular example you can buy the ticket itself for like maybe the equivalent of 10 15 dollars but if it's sold out you have no option but to go with a tour for like 90 dollars mm-hmm. and these are the things that can really add up and and make a difference in your budget and your spending and that's something that again for me even if i had you know tens of thousands of dollars to spend on travel indiscriminately i still wouldn't splurge that all on one trip for me that'd be like great that means i can take you know 10 different trips you know for <laughs> that price like awesome because um, that's just the way I think for me more travels better than than kind of the high-end luxury travel as long as I, I feel comfortable I feel safe and I'm mm-hmm. getting to do all of the activities that I want to do I don't necessarily need to be in a penthouse while I'm doing that I just need to be somewhere secure with wi-fi mm-hmm. ac good Clean. hot water you know mm-hmm. And that also makes a difference when you're booking. And and there's lots of different places I go to book hotels after that once I've secured any kind of time-sensitive tickets. You know, the Alhambra is another example. You know, sometimes whatever, Machu Picchu, those kind of timed entrance tickets, those are all things you need to do months ahead of time. So Mm -hmm. I'll look for that next and make sure I've secured any major things I want to do in that area. And then I'll look for the hotel. And hotel or rental, um, and there's lots of different places I go. I 
like to start just broadly with like Expedia or TripAdvisor. Um, sometimes Expedia offers me better prices because I've been a member for a while and I accumulate points that I can mm -hmm. use for some discounts there. Um, mm -hmm. But I, what I like about TripAdvisor is that you can narrow down the reviews of a place by a key term that you're looking for. So for me, Wi-Fi is very important when I'm, I'm working abroad remotely. So I can go and I check the reviews for Wi-Fi to see what people uh, have said about the yeah. Wi-Fi specifically, as opposed for uh -huh. me having to read through hundreds of reviews. Um, and I look and I kind of vet places that way. If I'm going to be going through Airbnb, I look for a super host, um, which are people that have received consistently good ratings from different guests. And so you know that they've also kind of been vetted by Airbnb system and they want to maintain that rating and that distinction. Uh -huh. So they really go out of their way to make sure that you're comfortable. Um, so those are kind of the things that I look for. Sometimes if I'm in Southeast Asia, there's an app called Agoda um, that's a affiliate of Booking.com that's very good for getting good prices, and that's where I found my $14 a night homestay in Bali. Um, so I have different places that I look and I compare, uh, but usually, like I said, you're still kind of good, even if you're not necessarily planned out far in advance to get housing and, and where to stay, but... Um, Tickets are the one thing that I would really be advising you for, especially if you're going to go see a world wonder or do anything where there's a high demand for those activities. Mm -hmm. Activities, yeah. Activity tickets, yeah. That makes a lot of sense. So you have a very clear um, sort of a decision tree here. You see, you start here, then if if that works, you go here. If that doesn't work, you go here. You have you have a real system. I've had to, yes. Thankfully, over all these trips, I've narrowed it down. It hasn't always been perfect. Like I said, I mean, there's always things that happen, but um, I find that advanced planning helps. You know, that I was mortified once when I realized a friend went to Athens and she didn't get to see the Parthenon because she didn't realize that it had reduced winter hours. And it's kind of those things that oh. motivate me to never be that person, you know, because you don't fly that far to miss out on kind of the major attractions mm -hmm. of the city. And planning ahead can make such a difference, especially in places like Europe you know, the statue of David can take hours to get tickets in line to see, or you can mm. go with your pre-purchased ticket and walk right in. Same thing with the Anne Frank house in Amsterdam. Like so mm. many of these places, if you just plan ahead, your visit will be so much more enjoyable than you standing mm. for two hours out in the street thinking, this is terrible. You know, I hate this. I'm wasting time. Um, and that's, right. what, you know, it really makes a difference. Like just having that ease of knowing like, oh man, I got this. Like, look how smart I am. Here's my advanced tickets. <laughs> you know, watch me cruise through and get lunch while everybody's still waiting. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah. That's the way I feel at the toll booths with my, you know, uh, my little, uh, what is it, the easy pass. Yep, exactly. Right. That's great. That's great. Um, anything, any any super memorable, wonderful uh, experiences you want to share before we end? Well, I'll definitely touch again on, on the opera in Florence because that was one of, early on in my in my trip and it was or my challenge and my 12 trips in 12 months challenge. It was the second trip in February. Uh, and Florence was going so well. I don't think people tend to have a bad time in Florence, but it was in February. And so there were reduced crowds and the weather was still really beautiful. I mean, it was, the sun was shining every day. And uh, I actually decided to go to this opera at night and it was um, an opera in a smaller setting. It was in a church where so, uh, the acoustics were just fabulous. And it had maybe two or three rows of chairs in a half circle around the center of the church so it felt so much more personal than these kind of bigger venues where people go and hundreds of people go to see the opera it was just maybe you know 40 50 people so max intimate. 
Mm. Exactly. And especially for the Italian opera, I mean, the, the singers were just phenomenal and their voices boomed and filled the room. And, mm. and it was an older audience there. Um, definitely, I don't think that uh, operas for necessarily millennials. I think a lot of people hear that, especially, and they think, oh, no, I don't want opera. But for me, I love opera. I love things cultural. I love, you know, I went to Broadway shows in New York when I was growing up in Philadelphia on school trips. So I've always been a big fan of performances. And I knew that this was something special that I wanted to try. So I got there early, uh, especially by European standards, because everyone gets to places late. So I was super early. Um, and mm. I was, I paid extra to sit right in the front row. And I was, um, talking to some of the people that organized the event beforehand and I guess maybe they just saw my enthusiasm and they <laughs> you know they were like wow like this girl like has really taken an interest in, in our show and, and she's just been so excited so at the intermission the the main um, uh, person that was singing the the gentleman there he decided he just announced he goes you know we'd like to announce a very special change in programming to a girl that's sitting in for a girl that's sitting in the front row and I just looked around me and I'm like who like who's this person and, you know, like, and then I realized that he was talking to me and then he comes you know within like inches or oh. uh, foot of me and just start serenading me and, and it's now oh. my song it's a song about women in Granada um, and it was just phenomenal I recorded it and it, it still brings chills you know for me because it, it was such mm. a special moment and, and unexpected and just made me and I ended up you know texting my mom I, I talked to my mom all the time um, and I ended up texting her afterwards in all caps like you'll never believe what happened and she oh. was like you scared me so bad I thought somebody oh. was murdering you um, because I was mm. overly excited I I just was so thrilled that this had happened to me um, and it's kind of those little things that make remind me why traveling is worthwhile and why these moments are worth mm -hmm. seeking out what a payoff exactly mm -hmm. mm. that is that's a wonderful story um, how can people find out more about you Jen and and read your books and and capture some of your enthusiasm for travel I write and I document some of my places that I go to and my adventures on my website, jenonajetplane.com. Mm -hmm. um, and then I also have books on Amazon and under the author name Jen Ruiz. Uh, two of them, the first right now is The Affordable Flight Guide. That's the 2018 Reader's Favorite Award winner. And the second is called You Need a Vacation, How to Travel with a Full-Time Job. And mm. both of those are for sale on Amazon. And I will have a third book out as well on solo female travel this year. Wow. I love the titles. They really... Um... They really get to the heart of uh, what you what you're exploring and learning about. Um, Thank you. Yeah, that's it. Sounds so fun, and I think that your enthusiasm is contagious. And I hope it encourages some of our listeners, you know, to venture out a little bit. It doesn't have to be Ecuador the first time around, but um, it, it's such a way to bring richness to our lives. I agree. I just left, you know, I've been exploring upstate New York for the past couple of months and Woodstock and Niagara Falls and Buffalo mm -hmm. and all these kind of places in America that people overlook but have so many amazing things to offer. So you'd be surprised what you'll find in your own backyard. Mm -hmm. That is true. Thank you so much for sharing your adventures with us. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Nicole. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for joining us on Zestful Aging. If you like the podcast, please share with some of your friends. 
I love to hear from my listeners. Send me an email at NicoleChristina.com. And please consider becoming a patron of the show. You will get access to exclusive bonuses and you will be part of the Zestful Aging community. Keep us going strong. Go to patreon.com slash Zestful Aging. See you next time for another episode of Zestful Aging.